Well, we had um, we had about 50 registrants for this event, and I'm glad to see that a lot of you are here. Uh, welcome. Um, my name is Steve Kemp. I'm with Land Trust Title Services, and um, it's our intention to host these events so that uh, you as a real estate broker or a real estate professional, if you're um, you know, pro uh, providing real estate law services, um, you know, uh, can just have an opportunity to sharpen your uh, knowledge, uh, sharpen your skills, be able to speak uh, confidently about some things that people have a lot of different questions about. And one of them certainly that has been on the radar, I've seen it, uh, it's been in a lot of the uh, real estate, um, you know, organ local organizations, there's been a lot of national conferences on it, uh, is blockchain and crypto. And a book fell into my hands. I, I met uh, our speaker um, on Twitter and a book fell into my hands. I read the book. I was like, dang, that's the first time that I really understood, um, you know, what was happening in a way that was kind of lower shelf so I could talk to people about it and explain it and that kind of thing. And so I am really pleased that I met Danny uh, Leyland and um, had a great conversation with him. And I thought, what a great thing it would be for us to be able to bring him to our, our uh, agent uh, and uh, uh, attorney partner community, have him speak on the uh, subject of uh, the blockchain and its effect on the real estate industry, and then be able to provide you with a book that Danny has written called The Seven Simple Steps to Get Started in Crypto. And we're not advocating at all that anyone gets started in crypto. I just want to be clear about that. It's not financial advice. This is just um, our effort to um, just provide value to the agent community. So welcome. You know, I want to recognize before we begin, uh, I want to recognize really uh, what I would say is the best uh, sales group uh, in the industry, in the title industry. And uh, I see we have uh, Andrew uh, Rudich. Uh, on the call with us. We have Carmen Carbonara. We have Candice Liebner up in Wisconsin. We have Denise Hellstrom, Dom Floro, uh, Anya Pulit. And um, so thank you uh, to our great sales team. And I just want to tip the hat to them. Um, also, just a little housekeeping. If you, if you have a question, please uh, just drop it in the chat while Danny's presenting. And I will, um, you know, I will interrupt Danny and, you know, we want this to be, you know, somewhat conversational from a standpoint that if there's a question that comes to mind, no question is off limits. So please ask it. Um, so with that, I want to introduce Danny. Uh, Danny Leyland is a real estate investor, a former Marine officer. He's a B2B software sales executive, and he's an independent blockchain consultant. And we're so pleased to have him. He's been actively researching and investing in crypto since 2017 and focuses primarily on uh, simplifying the complex uh, crypto and blockchain landscape for value and growth investors. So you, know, you might have an investor that says, hey, can I buy real estate uh, with crypto? How is blockchain going to impact my career as a real estate professional? These kind of things are 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 are, are some of the you know questions that we're going to hope to provide you know some answer to uh, as we get going. So without further ado, let me uh, bring on Danny and Danny, welcome and thank you for being here. Steve, thanks so much for that kind intro and thank you all for joining this morning uh, on a topic that is definitely uh, shrouded in controversy and lots of sort of bad bad media coverage and and. I don't want to call it fake news, but there's just, there's a lot about crypto that people don't understand. So I'm happy that we're all here to just kind of talk about it. Um, today's sort of uh, presentation, I'm going to focus a little bit upfront on just the fundamentals, right? I want to help people understand what is blockchain and what is the technology that makes crypto work? Um, and then what are specifically smart contracts? These are a bunch of buzzwords that I'm sure you guys have been exposed to but I'm doubting anyone's taking the time to actually like walk you through and try to try to make like a light bulb moment or two on like how the actual network technology functions. So we're going to cover that first. Um, and after we establish a firm foundation there, we can then move on to, okay, what are the actual industry applications for real estate for what you guys are interested in? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to run you through a few of the, the present solutions out there that people are already using. And then we'll get into 
Uh, it it kind of turns into a little bit of speculation, but we can kind of then talk about where could it potentially go. And then we'll have some Q&A at the end. Um, Steve, as questions roll in, please feel free to interrupt me. I would, I'd love to handle those as they come up. Um, but without further ado, I'll give you a brief intro on myself, and then we'll we'll roll right into it. Um, so me, I'm, as Steve mentioned, I'm an investor. I've, I've been involved in real estate, stock market, crypto, uh, investing in small businesses, et cetera, for a number of years. I've been in crypto specifically since 2017, so I'm by no means what you would call an OG in crypto, right? I haven't been around since 2012. Um, I didn't really see the use case for blockchain when I first came across it back then in 2012. And it took me until five years later, 2017, to revisit the subject uh, with more of an open mind. Um, but it's, it's something that I've been falling down the rabbit hole on, so to speak, for the last five years or so. Uh, I'm originally from Wisconsin, so all of you Chicago folk in the crowd, uh, I went to Marquette University for college. I was born and raised in a small town in sort of central Wisconsin. Most of my friends are from Chicago, uh, so I, I'd like to think I'm among sort of friends in this environment and uh, not Packer haters and you know, Wisconsin haters, but we'll, we'll, we'll sprint past that and go right into the professional life. Um, yeah, that was the first question, actually, try to establish credibility is, are you a Packer fan? And yeah, well, I, uh, my, my political answer is I don't really watch sports as much. Anymore. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was born and raised a Packer fan, but uh, I don't, I don't even have cable anymore. So there's that. We like um, in professionally, just credibility wise, right? I, I started my professional career as a Marine Corps officer. Uh, I was an aviation maintenance officer for a number of years. I left the Corps as a captain in 2018. And transitioned into technology sales, uh, primarily engineering software sales. And then from there, about a year and a half ago, I moved into starting my own crypto consulting and coaching firm, basically. It's a one-man shop. I'm a solopreneur, um, but it's been really a fun experiment for me. Uh, there's a kind of a common theme here in all of my professional experience, and that is something Steve kind of alluded to, is simplifying complexity, right? Constantly simplifying a complex technical environment. Uh, with helicopters and drones in the Marine Corps for our executive leadership, and then simplifying, you know, physics software, really like selling software to rocket scientists, literally in most cases, uh, and now simplifying this the complex environment that is crypto and blockchain into something that makes sense for, for beginners and value and growth investors. So Common theme, I like to try to create light bulb moments for people and things that typically are just a little too dense. So hopefully that experience can come across today and create a couple of light bulb moments for someone on this call. And if that happens, then I'll call it a win. Um, jumping right into things, I think the first thing that I'd like to do is just make blockchain make sense. Um, the The first analogy that I have is, is the most in-depth one. Uh, this will take a few minutes for me to kind of walk through. It's it's kind of a story type analogy. The other two are very simple. The glass box analogy and the Google Docs analogy take 20, 30 seconds. Um, but the village analogy is really what I've seen create some light bulb, <clears throat> excuse me, light bulb moments for people. So the village analogy goes something like this. So picture a village. The village is made up of a number of different families, right? All of these families are are participating in some sort of trade, right? There's, there's farmers, there's blacksmiths, fishermen, etc. And the economy of the village is not based around a sort of central issued currency. Instead, it's just like a free trade system. So when the farmer needs fish, he's going to trade some of his grain for fish, like to the fishermen. Now, in the real world, things happen, right? Say the harvest doesn't come in. Farmer still needs fish, so he goes to the fisherman and asks if he can still get some fish, and they trust each other. So the fisherman says, yeah, you just hit me back when the harvest comes in, right? And the system works, right? You're basically floating around IOUs in this network of families in this village, and it, it works for a while, but as the village continues to grow because of its flourishing economy on this like weird credit system, right? Uh, people keep moving to the village, people keep having kids, and naturally the village population grows, and it gets harder and harder to keep track of all of the IOUs, who, who owes who what. So the village puts their heads together and tries to come up with a system like, hey, how do we make this easier for everyone? And the answer is, well, let's, let's hire an accountant 
basically we'll call him the ledger man. And the ledger man's job is to keep track of all of the trades, transactions, everything happening in the village's economy. That'll keep things fair. So they do that. They hire a ledger man and that it works pretty well for a little while, right? Uh, it, it functions as intended, but it doesn't take too long for this sort of linchpin person uh, to start taking advantage of his position, right? So he starts accepting bribes under the table from villagers who want their debt service first. Um, and he starts eventually extorting the villagers for, uh, you know, getting their debts paid back to them. So if you want anything to happen, you got to go through him. So he becomes this linchpin. And you would imagine eventually that system breaks down and the, the ledger man gets chased out of the village, right, with torches and pitchforks. But, you know, hooray, right? They've liberated themselves and now they're right back to where they started. And it's even more of a mess. And now they need to come up with an even better, like some kind of system that doesn't rely on a third party, right? A, a trusted third party. So uh, they, the town elders gather the village together and they're trying to crowdsource this thing, right? And some random anonymous voice from the crowd yells out, well, why don't we just keep our own ledgers? And they're like, huh, yeah, you know, that... That's, a, that's actually a pretty good idea. So they institute what they call a, a smart ledger system. So every family has their own ledger of all of the transactions, trades, everything that's happening in the town. So as they go through their week, they're logging down everything that's going on. And then at a set interval, let's call it once a week, they get together in the town square and they read off the ledger and they talk about anybody who disagrees, if there's any discrepancies, just to reach a, a consensus, right? So if there are discrepancies or disagreements, they move forward with the most common entry in the ledgers and discard the, the couple of outliers, right? Now, there needs to be some kind of incentive, right, to get the people, the villagers to want to participate in the system. Otherwise, they could just kind of opt out. Um, so what they do is they implement a, a sort of competition element to it, right? They, they pool a small amount of goods from each of the families, a very, very small amount, pool it into kind of a larger prize pool, uh, and then create a competition, say a treasure hunt. So if you meet two requirements, which are you help discover discrepancies and, and reach consensus from all the ledgers, you then get the opportunity to compete in this treasure hunt. And if you find all of the items first, if you're the winner of this competition, you win the prize pool for the week. So that's how they incentivize the villagers to actually want to participate and keep the town's economy flowing. That's Bitcoin, basically. I mean, it, it gets a lot more complicated, but that's really the, the foundation of how the Bitcoin network functions. So if you take that, we'll come back to this slide for the other two, but if you take the, the families in that analogy and make them computers, tens of thousands of computers all over the world, um, those are called nodes in the, the Bitcoin network. The tracking of all the trades and the hey, IOUs. Hey, Dan, Danny, I just want to clarify. It's it's the blockchain network, not the Bitcoin network, right? Uh, yes. Sorry. B Bitcoin is a specific blockchain yeah. network. Um, right. But, but yeah, we'll, we're, we're kind of getting there. Um, th this whole idea of like you're doing work, right? So the, the village families are working you know, they're doing physical work to validate the ledger and then they're working, they're, they're trying, they're exerting sweat, right, to do the treasure hunt and win. Mm -hmm. It creates what you might call a proof of work consensus, right? Right, right. In the, Bitcoin, in the Bitcoin network, that work becomes computer power. You're burning electricity in order to verify the ledger, verify the transactions on each individual computer. Um, so that's called the proof of work consensus mechanism. Um, so you've probably heard the term proof of work before, but that's what it physically means. Um, so like I said, instead of tracking all trades and IOUs, now it's, it's keeping a ledger of all the transactions that are happening on this blockchain network. Um, the, this says Sacrice, I use treasure hunt. I kind of interchange them. Treasure hunt works a little better. Uh, the competition is actually a cryptographic math problem. So you have computers that are burning energy to try to solve this problem first, right? They're trying to reach the conclusion before anybody else, and then they win the reward. That prize pool is a block reward or a miner's reward. So all these people that are helping to validate and secure the network and verify all the transactions going on, 
they have the potential to win this this block reward that gets paid out on certain intervals. In the in the village analogy, I used a week, right? Is that interval? You meet up every week and you you know you, you reach consensus. Uh, in in a blockchain network, that can vary, but let's say in the Bitcoin network specifically, that's every ten minutes. So uh, a single block of transactions is being filled and stamped to the blockchain every single ten minutes. Um, something that I didn't hit on was this sort of uh, magical bulletin board. So whoever wins that competition, the the treasure hunt plus, you know, they helped validate the the ledger. Whoever wins that gets the opportunity, gets the uh, the 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 pleasure of stamping their ledger up on the town square bulletin board for everyone to see for all of eternity. All right, it becomes a historical record you can look back to and say, oh yeah, you know, the Jones family paid the, the Smith family X amount on this date. And it's, it's time-stamped. You can go back and look at anything that's ever happened in the entire history of the village's economy. It's a magic bulletin board, right? The, the analogy breaks down a little bit there. Um, but that element of it is what the public blockchain physically is. So you have this immutable time-stamped record of everything that's ever happened say on the Bitcoin network, for example, that goes back to its inception. And at any time you can go back and check anything that's ever happened. Everything is totally viewable. It's permissionless. Anyone can go and, and check out the blockchain or participate. So that's the village analogy. Um, if there are questions on that, I'm happy to take those. But I'm going to go back and offer a couple of shorter analogies that kind of help drive the point home a little bit about how say the, the Bitcoin network and wallets and things like that work. Steve, any questions on the, yeah, the you know, analogy? Danny, uh, what, what comes to mind here is <clears throat> that <clears throat> it bypasses this kind of idea of the, <clears throat> excuse me, the money lender or the banker. And it basically has these village, the advantage to the villagers are uh, that they get to, uh, you know, define all the, keep track of all the transactions and they are bypassing the middleman and, and designating for themselves someone who can keep track of the transactions. Right. It, it, it's a, it's a consensus, right? It's so you're consensus. not, you're not relying on a trusted third party. There, there's no need to have a sort of central source of truth or a linchpin in the system. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's a distributed network of, of nodes, or in this case, families, right? And you can have thousands and thousands of them and they're all helping like anybody can go and become a, a validator or a miner for the Bitcoin network and help the network function correctly um, with, with the potential for, you know, being paid out in Bitcoin. So that's the village analogy. Um, it, it, it's specific to everybody thinks about Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies as just the currency element of it. And we'll, we'll get into that as well, but Currency is really just sort of the first practical use, use case of blockchain. So uh, cryptocurrency does not equal blockchain. Cryptocurrency is simply a subset or a, a use case that blockchain technology can be used for. This village analogy explains how blockchain networks function. It doesn't have to be for money. Now, you can use it for other things, too. That's kind of what we'll get at. Um, with the real estate industry applications and as we get into smart contracts. Uh, really quickly, I did want to cover the glass box analogy and the Google Docs analogy. Sure. Um, for the glass box analogy, just picture a, a bank vault with all these safety deposit boxes, right? Like in this photo here. And instead of like a steel front though, each box has a glass facade, which allows everyone in the bank to see the contents of each box. Right? The contents can all be seen, but they can't be accessed. So the owners of each box get a key that's made exclusively for that specific box. And even though they have a key for it, the box, it doesn't technically belong to them, but they have access to its contents. So kind of, sort of, same, same. Um, when someone opens a new box or creates a new box, or in this analogy, like a crypto wallet, it's creating a new address on the blockchain. And the private key that they own for that address unlocks this address so they can access the crypto that that's, is stored on it. Um, so that visual of like, okay, I can see all of these different deposit boxes or crypto wallets. 
anyone can go, it's totally public and viewable. People like to think of or talk about blockchain and Bitcoin specifically being like, oh, it's for criminals and it's private and it's untraceable. And that could not be further from the truth. It's completely open and transparent. You can see every single, anytime there's a, anytime there's a quote unquote hack or someone steals money, you can trace that money very easily. It's, it's the entire reason our government is spending billions of dollars to push a central banking digital currency, like a centrally issued sort of stable currency that is digital because it's so easy to track. So there, there are private chains out there, like private uh, currencies that are focused on obscuring addresses, um, but they're, they're pretty small when it comes, like in comparison to the rest of the crypto market. Most of them are public and open and transparent blockchains. Um, the Google Docs analogy just kind of drives home the point of, of I guess, ease of collaboration um, and, and this sort of uh, time-stamped historical record that is the blockchain. So if you're familiar with Google Docs, like if you use something like Microsoft Word, working on a document requires a ton of, of back and forth, right? Someone works on it, and then the recipient has to wait for the author to save the file, send the file, you receive it, you make edits or comments or whatever, send it back. They have to get, it's a very much back and forth kind of motion, right? Um, they're only visible, all of the comments and edits and everything that you're doing are only visible to the person who is working on it presently. And the only way around that is to look over the author's shoulder, whoever's at the computer, and that's probably going to piss some people off, right? But with Google Docs, everyone who the document has been shared with can access the file and collaborate on it in real time and add comments and add edits. So everyone with access can view it. And then when you make comments or suggest changes, everything is saved in the revision history of that document. And it's visible to everyone and you can't go back and change it. So what's seen and what's entered can't be denied by anyone. And one person can't make a change without everyone else seeing that change. And that's exactly how the blockchain network works as well. Instead of a shared document, it's a shared ledger, um, right? Of all transactions, of all buys and sells and sends um, that all involved parties have access to. And any change within it can be verified by anyone on the network. So if you try to go back and and alter something in the Bitcoin network, for example, it's, it's physically impossible because if you try to change something that's already happened in the past, it creates a, a cascading waterfall of basically the, of red, right? You'll, you'll go back, you'll try to manipulate the blockchain, but every single block of transactions is tied via cryptography immutably to the block before it. And if you change anything in one of those, it cascades on the whole thing. So it's very, very apparent to see or catch or, or find people that are trying to manipulate something. Um, so that's the, the Google Docs analogy. Questions, comments before I roll that's on? That's great. That's uh, very, very helpful. I love those analogies. It really makes it understandable. Thank you. Awesome. So those analogies apply to public blockchains. That is distributed, open, immutable blockchains that anyone can use. There are also private blockchains. And that is where instead of like the villagers being independent entities, you can have things like companies or governments create their own blockchain networks where they control all of the nodes, all of the computers that make the network function. This is more akin to uh, something like, you know, using servers or cloud data warehouses um, that are managed and operated by one specific company or one specific services provider. Um, not to say those are bad at all. Private blockchains have their uses and a lot of them are, are in the real estate industry and we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but if you're trying to come up with some sort of distributed way to handle, say for instance, currency like Bitcoin, you don't want a private blockchain because then one person or one entity controls your monetary supply. Like if the goal is to be distributed, if the goal is to remove trusted third parties, public blockchains are what you want. If you wanna just leverage blockchain and kind of use this timestamped visibility for everyone to see, but control sort of like what is seen and, and, and how you want to use it, maybe you build a private blockchain. It, maybe it's not the right answer for your application. It, 
we don't have to jam everything into blockchain. Like I, I talk to a lot of uh, startup founders who are like, oh, I want to I want to issue a token. And I want to have a blockchain that does this and that. And I'm like, yeah, nine times out of 10, nine and a half times out of 10. I'm like, you don't need to do that. There's no point in trying to use the Web3 buzzword. It's like adding .com to your name, you know, in the late 90s. It's just trying to capture the hype when in fact, whatever you're trying to do, it, blockchain isn't going to solve it any better than say something like Web2 and the, the current internet economy that we have. Current internet tech can do everything that you want to do. You don't need a blockchain. You don't need a, a crypto token, but everybody's very, you know, it's been very hypey for the last couple of years. Maybe not right at this moment <laughs> with everything going on, but I usually try to dissuade people from that. But that's that's a whole nother conversation. Um, we can move right along. So everything I, I just described was a public blockchain. Um, I used Bitcoin as the example because it's the most popular uh, proof of work network. It's the largest Bitcoin network out there um, that is proof of work. There are other consensus mechanisms out there aside from proof of work. Um, the, the largest example would be Ethereum, which came along six years after Bitcoin's inception. And there were, there were tons of crypto projects right after, after Bitcoin came along in, the, in that six-year period between Bitcoin and Ethereum. But they didn't really do anything super novel. They didn't change anything. There wasn't any like huge upgrades or changes to how blockchain functions or, or, or real, real upgrades that move the needle for the industry. It was mostly just people going, hey, well, I'm going to copy and paste Bitcoin's code and make a couple of little changes, you know, make the block size bigger or increase the, the, the or decrease the amount of, of time it takes to, to, you know, close on a block, you know, try to speed up the network, try to do faster transactions, et cetera. But nothing really like life altering, right? Until 2015 when Ethereum came along and introduced the idea of smart contracts. So smart contracts as defined by the, the guy who coined the term, Nick Zabo, he describes them like a vending machine. It's really just an algorithmic programmability that you can put on top of the blockchain so that you have if-then statements, right? If X, then Y. He uses the example of the vending machine, which is your if or your input is if you insert money and if you insert or make a snack selection, your other input, your output, your then statement is snack gets dispensed. So if X, then Y. The whole point of that is to automate the whole process of getting a snack, right? You remove the vendor, you're automating the, the whole sequence. No one is, you're not trusting anyone to take your money and give you back money and giving someone access to the till and all that. You're removing the trusted third party or the middleman. And what that does is it increases efficiency, reduces your expenses and makes the whole thing a little more customer friendly, right? So what smart contracts do is they introduce an element of that programmability to the blockchain. That happened in 2015 with Ethereum for the first time. And that's the reason Ethereum is the, the second largest blockchain network in the world presently. It was the first one to allow people to build, right? So it becomes this conversation that is more than money. It's not just about like, oh, we're going to buy, send, sell. Like, oh, now things get interesting. Now we can layer these smart contract, the, these if-then statements basically on top of each other to build pretty cool applications right? We can, we can do pretty much anything that you would want to do in web two in this distributed environment, in this network of, of computers all over the world that are helping it run instead of having a centralized sort of network like the, the present web two environment we live in. Um, a visual on smart contracts, you know, typically the, the whole point is that you're removing the, the third party, the middleman, right? So you typically need a broker in this situation. Let's say you have a buyer and a seller for something like stock, or let's say you want to swap between two different cryptocurrencies. You want to swap your Bitcoin for Ethereum or your Ethereum for something else. In the traditional world, you'd need to have a broker to make that trade happen, right? The broker has to go out, find the, find the buyer, find the seller, create a situation where they're both happy and move the needle forward. And with smart contracts, you can sort of auto automate away that process, abstract away that process with code. So you're re replacing that trust with computer code 
that runs based on specific parameters. You say, hey, if this thing happens, make sure this thing happens. And you program the computer to do it that way. And then it does it that way. Now, I know what you're thinking, probably if we have real estate agents and brokers and whatnot on this call, uh, I would think the same way. I'm an enterprise sales guy, right? We're all middlemen here. That's what we do. It's, we broker agreements. Um, it, this, this, what I'm describing here might sound like an existential threat to everyone on this call because we're trusted third parties, right? I don't think that's the case for people like us. And I'm going to explain why. Um, I, I think this is very much useful and realistic to use for, I don't want to call it like lower ticket services, but things that are less complex that have less of like the, the human psychology element tied to them. And by that, I mean, all of us here sell six and seven figure assets, right? Or we, we create the connection that allows for buyers and sellers to exchange that level of assets, six and seven figures. And when you're dealing with that much money, you can't really simplify it to the point of where, you know, like, oh, smart contract, like this person buys, this person sells, boom, it's done. I just spent a million bucks. It's far too complex. There, it's too nuanced. There's too many factors that go into the sale, the, the sale and purchase of a home, of real estate investment property, of, of engineering software, of any kind of you know, large ticket software. Like there's always going to be a need for people that can create that, that connection and make it flow more smoothly. Like there's a reason we're not out of a job yet, is what I'm trying to say. Um, but this whole function of a smart contract is really there, I think, personally, to make our lives easier. And we'll, we'll get into how that can happen. Danny, um, a, a quick yes. question that we're getting is, what, what are some examples right now of where this smart contract is taking hold? So the first, uh, the first good example that kind of popped up with, with decentralized finance is the idea of an automated broker, right? So... If you look at like exchanging, uh, if you want to sell your, your Apple stock, right? Or if you want to exchange one crypto for another, there needs to be a market made for that. So typically you would need to have a pool of transactions where a broker can go and match one transaction to another. Uh, this guy wants to sell at this price. This guy wants to buy at this price. Let's meet in the middle where both people are happy and make that happen. All that happening in the middle via a trusted third party. Well, presently, you have what's called an automated market maker that's made possible by smart contracts. There's a number of different examples. Uh, the largest are probably things like Uniswap, uh, SushiSwap, kind of a funny name, but it's the second largest uh, decentralized exchange. So you can go exchange various cryptocurrencies and stable coins. Um, there's also decentralized money lenders. So money market funds where you create this situation where your, your pool of funds is automated in such a way that no one has centralized control of it. If I want to go in and I want to swap one coin for another, basically you'll have people on, on one end that are providing liquidity to the market. People like me, I'll go in and I'll, I'll, I'll give my, my crypto basically to this smart contract that is promising a certain amount of return. And then they take my tokens and they create a market for other people that want to swap that token to something else. So you have liquidity providers that are regular people. Like I don't have to be an accredited investor like you typically would for something like this. Um, this is a financial vehicle that's typically reserved for accredited type folks. But I can go in in crypto land, right? And I can provide liquidity and I can earn an interest rate that is exponentially higher than the savings account returns, right? So it unlocks. Uh, that, that, that's interesting. So um, uh, uh, we have one question, but I, a follow-up question to that. So many of the smart contracts are right now being leveraged primarily for cryptocurrency. I would say that's correct. And, yes, the, and, the, and the trading of cryptocurrency. So if I have, just speaking like a dumbbell here, if I have a thousand Bitcoin, which I know that may be a lot of money, I can put that into the pool where it could be part of the trading mechanism. It's backed by real, it's back, you know, and now it's back. There's something really there and I'm getting a rate of return for putting that into the system, so to speak. And that's exactly how it works. Um, the, 
Yeah, when you say backed and that that thing means something kind of different in the okay. crypto community. Like if you talk yeah, about yeah. stable coins, right? Yeah. That that's another element that I don't know if we want to go too deeply on, but no. In, but the one one question, I, I I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. One question is, would a cash transaction be a smart contract? Could that be? There are ways that you can do that. So there's something I actually just mentioned, stablecoin. Um, right. A stablecoin is a, a digital representation, uh, essentially, of a dollar, of a, of a real-world currency. So you have things like USDC um, and DAI, D-A-I, that are either backed or pegged to the US dollar. So in the case of USDC, for example, um, that is a cryptocurrency that's always worth $1, and it is backed by real world assets, real world dollars that are in an account uh, somewhere in the world, right? And the reason that stablecoins came around is to like help this, this whole ecosystem of decentralized finance of people trying to swap between tokens and borrow and lend and create money markets. If you're trying to do that, if you're trying to borrow funds and use volatile cryptocurrency as your collateral, that's just a recipe for disaster, right? That's kind of sort of what happened with the FTX blow up. Mm -hmm. uh, it's people that are collateralizing their loans on hyper-volatile assets like Bitcoin, like Ethereum, like all cryptocurrencies. They're very volatile. And if you use those to collateralize your loan, you're, you're going to blow up. You're going to have a bad time. Um, stable because, coins, they, because they go up and down so much that their values change so much that it's all of a sudden, you know, uh, exactly. you're, yeah, I got yeah. it. Even if you're hyper over-collateralized, right? I had, I had a friend who took out a, a crypto loan and over collateralized by like 250%. They still got liquidated because prices are down 85% in the last year. Yeah. So, you know, if your asset is worth 50 bucks and you take out a loan against it, that's hyper over, let's say you have, you know, 200 grand worth of the, the, the coin, you take out a 50 grand loan, the price could still relatively easily go down to the point of where you still get liquidated when that price hits seven bucks or whatever it is, right? That yep. happens in crypto because things swing wildly. So the whole point of stable coins really, at least two years ago, was to stabilize that market. So now you can collateralize your crypto loans with a, an asset that is worth $1 always, right? It is pegged to the US dollar. So there are arguments you can go down that the rabbit hole of like, okay, if you dig deep enough in this decentralized finance world, you get down to the base layer and that base layer is the US dollar that's holding everything up. What's the point? Yeah, I agree with that. If you were to steel man that argument, it's a good argument. Um, eventually, I think crypto will get to a place where you have a stable sort of crypto that is not backed or not pegged to fiat currency, to US dollar or to any other, any other uh, sort of centrally issued currency. We don't know what that looks like yet, though. Honestly, there's a lot of sort of competitors in that space, but it, it doesn't exist yet. It's the, the realm of conjecture, so I'm not even going to go there. Great. Um, but on the topic of smart contracts, where are they actually being used in places other than just cryptocurrency, right? We can move on to the next slide and get into real estate and industry applications. Before we jump into this, were there any other questions, Steve, on blockchain oh. smart contracts? Okay. No. Cool. So... I threw some examples up on this slide of, of projects and companies that are involved in the real estate industry that use blockchain for real estate applications, things that exist today, right? So the one that had, I think that I was the most maybe excited about was a, a startup called Proppy. And Proppy allows for you to buy and sell real estate using cryptocurrency. Uh, it's part of the National Association of Realtors uh, Reach Accelerator Program, and they've already processed $4 billion in transactions for consumers and agents from a, a number of different you know, companies, right? You've got Keller Williams, Redfin, Remax, uh, Re Realty Austin, Acme. So you're talking a nationwide effort to use blockchain to buy and sell real estate. Um, recently, I want to say in the last like two months, Proppy was able to seamlessly transfer ownership of a condo in Tampa Bay, Florida, uh, in 15 minutes, which 
that just kind of blows my mind. Everything from the appraisal to the offer, it was all done online via the blockchain. And that insane deal velocity, I think is possible because of the lack of credit and background checks that you have to do in blockchain. Mm -hmm. You're not, you're not required to do a credit check or a background check that can definitely speed things up for you. Um, they only look at your collateral, right? It's not about, it's not about the credit in the background. It's about how much collateral do you have? And that's exactly how crypto loans work in all of those situations I just, just described. Like you can't take out a loan unless you're over collateralized. So in this case, they were able to uh, transfer ownership seamlessly in 15 minutes because you didn't have to go through all the background uh, and, and credit check stuff. Yeah, Danny. So what is, here's a question we have. What is the value currently? What is the, the value of the blockchain or crypto? Like how much perceived value is there in that, in that space? Uh, it, all of crypto, like you're yeah. talking. Yeah. So the global market cap is just under a trillion dollars. Okay. So when I think about a trillion dollars, I could picture like picture you have a trillion dollars under your mattress, eventually, which I have just under that, but, um, so I like, I'm sleeping on a mountain, um, picture eventually someone wants to buy something with it. That's what we have that we, we have, there's a trillion dollars worth of value. Now it's, they don't just want to trade it with each other. They want to go buy real stuff, cars, real estate, whatever. This is what's happening, you know? So anyway. Exactly. And I don't think we're, we're quite there yet, Steve, to be perfectly honest. Sure. Uh, I think people still perceive crypto as sort of the, the buy and hold type of investment, which yep. honestly, like I, a, a percentage of my portfolio is that most of my mm -hmm. portfolio is that I'm a buy and hold kind of guy. I'm a value and a growth guy. And I think that this, this entire ecosystem is going to continue to grow over time. Um, but uh, honestly, it's, it's the reason I didn't get into Bitcoin back in 2012 when I first came across it is because I, I didn't really see any merchant adoption back then. There weren't merchants, you know, stores saying like, Hey, we accept Bitcoin. So I was like, what do we need this for? There's no, there's no re like if people can't spend it on things, then there's no point. And I think that kind of, uh, that mindset slowly melted away as I revisited it five years later uh, and finally came to understand the real use case behind blockchain, right? It's not just about like, oh, merchant adoption, that'll come. And it's currently happening. You've got some of the largest companies in the world that accept Bitcoin as payment at this point. And now we're getting to the point where we're closing, you know, real estate deals with crypto. But getting, I think, the, the public comfortable with it, because it's still perceived as a very, like, risky and volatile asset. There's still a lot of stigmas around it that say, like, oh, it's for criminals and it's, it's, it's dirty and scary and you could just get hacked and lose all your stuff. Not really. If, if you do things the right way, like, there, there hasn't been a single, like real crypto hack on a crypto exchange in the last, oh man, I, I, I don't want to get quoted on this, but something like four or five years where it wasn't directly attributed to someone at the company losing their credentials, right? Or compromising the system um, or just bad business practices like you saw with FTX in the last month or two. It wasn't a hack, right? right. We can, get, we can was, get into that in the Q&A. Yeah, that was just criminal like, activity. Yeah. The, the long and short of it is if you hold your crypto on a wallet that you control and you don't give it to people like FTX, no one can take it. it it's just physically impossible. So all that to say, we'll, we'll move on with the, the real estate yeah. industry applications and we can get into all that in the Q&A if, if people want to. Um, there's other examples like Consortia, which uh, gives certified listings on blockchain. Um, you've got DocuWalk, which is, uh, purchased by ShelterZoom. They have a document management platform, um, that allows for offering and accepting real estate offers on the blockchain as well. And then smart realty, uh, is essentially property purchase, rental agreements, listings, everything automated via smart contracts. And then you have this other category as well. That's currently in existence. That is fractionalized ownership of real estate property. This is mostly obviously for investment properties, because if you're going to own a piece of a property, you want to earn a return, right? So what happens is a property gets bought and turned into like the ownership of that property turns into tokens. So it's legally purchased 
it is legally transferred, the ownership is transferred into a certain number of quote unquote shares that are represented as tokens, you know, digital currency. And then when you go and buy a number of those tokens, it represents ownership stake in that property. So you can go to websites like Lofty AI, um, Acreage Way, Parcel. Most of them do the same thing, right? You can go and you can buy, actually, let me just pull it up and just show you the marketplace. That would be a lot easier. Let's do this. Is my... Uh... Yep, we can see you. Okay, cool. It's a kind of straightforward process or a pro uh, thing, but I just want to give you an idea what that looks like. So for as little as 50 bucks in as little as, you know, minutes, seconds, right? After your account's created, you can invest in any number of companies all over the world or all over the country, rather. I think Lofty at this point is primarily focused in the Midwest, but they do have properties uh, on both coasts and in the South. Um, you know, but they give an IRR, they give a cash on cash return. It's almost like investing as a limited partner in a syndicated deal, right? So I don't personally like to do that because you don't get the pass through tax benefits. Um, but I think it's good for people who you know want to use blockchain, want to use their crypto to buy their ownership in real world assets. And then the building can't be sold unless all of the token holders vote to sell the building. And there's an overwhelming consensus to a certain number, um, typical kind of setup there. So it's it's a pretty interesting like as from an investor investor perspective i'm a real estate investor this is kind of intriguing to me just because it's actively happening right now and there's a ton of competitors for lofty there's lots of companies out there all of these that i have listed on that slide they're all essentially doing the same thing offering regular people the opportunity to get into fractionalized ownership of investment property danny so, one of the questions that we have is are there realtor commissions you know connected with that um, th in this case, I do not believe so. Okay. Um, I think this is like, these properties are bought up by lofty and then they are turned into what's, what's basically a, it's kind of a public auction. Yeah. Right. So there's 30,000 tokens available. These are new listings. Let's find one that's. Yeah. So. And Dan, you know, so, uh, you know, and this would, you know, from a person who's starting out that doesn't have credit, doesn't have money down, doesn't this, doesn't that, this could right. be a way that you could you could uh, put uh, investors in your pipeline to say, hey, listen, you're not able to qualify yet to buy the five unit for uh, uh, one and a quarter million dollars, but you know, you could start here and I'll keep you in the pipeline type of thing, right? There's other ways for you to do. And you know, it, it could be a way for you to uh, just help someone get started. And then they, when they wanna go to the next level and own property on their own, you can help them, you know, do that. So. Exactly. Um, there's a I mean, number. I think, uh, I think our agents can look at this yeah, and we can and get a lot of their answers, uh, questions answered as they go, but that's yeah, great think, to have that on our radar. I think most of the practical use cases for people on this call are going to be with this, this top section here. Yep. Right. So I would dig into property. I think I have a slide. Um, on. Yeah, so specific resources you can dig into. Proppy actually has a crypto certified agent course where you can learn everything you would want to know about blockchain. I think it's somewhere around 500, just under 500 bucks, um, but you might be able to get it expensed as educational development material, right? Um, I'm going to give you my book. Uh, if you want my 160 page book, I'm happy to provide that as well. Mm -hmm. But I condensed it down into something a little shorter that Steve mentioned. Um, so that's that's sort of present applications. You know, it's, it's a little thin, like it's, it's, there are people doing sale and purchase and lease on blockchain, but it's not like overwhelming amount, right? Like, yeah, Proppy has processed $4 billion transactions for consumers, but it's still kind of a drop in the bucket, right? It's, people aren't really aware of this yet. Mm -hmm. And to be perfectly honest, crypto doesn't have a, a great reputation at this moment in time. So I, I appreciate everybody even joining this call because most yeah, people so don't Yeah, so everyone on this call it. is still ahead of the curve in many ways. Um, but it's 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 burgeoning, it's happening. There's nothing, you know, going to slow it down. It's, you know, uh because of the way that the because of the 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 foundational 
concepts, it's going to, it's here to stay, whether we want it to be or not. So, okay, here we go, Danny. Let's, uh, yeah, and just I finishing got... with, uh, yep, we're almost done here with just future, potential future applications. This kind of gets into the realm of theoretical, but if so, we just, uh, just one the... second. So, um, go ahead. Burkwan uh, Muhammad says Lofty charges a 5% list fee whenever it lists a property. Just FYI, I use Lofty AI. They have brokers who work with them. Okay, awesome. Good to awesome. see. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, getting into the realm of sort of theoretical, but if we just kind of follow the trend, I think we could see all of these things happening. We're already starting to see them. It's just a matter of adoption, right? Um, so real estate applications for the future, you've got title. So recording a digital immutable ownership of a property on blockchain that is instantly verifiable. So you're talking about taking some of these more, I don't want to call them archaic paper processes at the risk of offending Steve or anybody else on this call, but just kind of helping to condense the entire process of purchase and ownership of a home, right? Um, there's something called an NFT that I'm sure everybody's heard that term before. Um, I'm going to quickly explain what that is. It is a non-fungible token. And if you don't know what fungible means, fungible is basically Bitcoin or the US dollar, right? It's $1 is always worth another dollar. You can exchange them. There's exchangeability. One Bitcoin can be exchanged for one Bitcoin. They, they're worth the same thing. That's fungibility. So if something is non-fungible, it means it's unique. It means there's nothing else like it in the world, right? So non-fungible tokens are digital assets that can't be duplicated, replicated. They're, they're singular and unique. And you could see how that would apply pretty, you know, like a puzzle piece would fit into recording digital ownership of something like real estate. So if you have a token, kind of like we talked about with Lofty and some of these other examples, you can provide tokenized ownership, but instead of fractionalizing it, like you do with Lofty, you know, instead of breaking it up into a bunch of different pieces and letting other people buy these tokens, these tokens that are technically fungible, you have a non-fungible singular token that represents the title, that represents the ownership of that property. And when you transfer that, you transfer ownership. Obviously, there's lots of regulatory stuff you got to work through to even make that legal, right? Um, but that's, that's where I could see things kind of heading. Um, obviously, the paper process of going through a, a purchase, anything involving legal, things are going to get, it takes more time, right? So if you can automate those contracts, um, and the enforcement of those contracts, it's going to speed things up, obviously. So if you're working at a real estate law firm, it's something I'd, I'd probably be pretty interested in because it's going to provide a better user experience for your customers in the end. Um, payments, doing universal acceptance uh, instead of, you know, crypto just being a fringe case right now. Some people pay crypto, you know, for, for real world goods, but I think it's going to get kind of like Steve mentioned, it's going to get a little bit more common to see that happen in the future. Um, settling in seconds versus days, even seeing the, the property example, right, of, of transferring ownership in 15 minutes, let alone weeks and months, and then hassle-free lease agreements for renting, right, and, and paying your lease on a monthly basis in an automated way. We already have some of those things, right? You can sign up for automatic payments, um, but if you want to do it in this environment, that's, it can be distributed, it can be public, it can be more straightforward, it's an option. And then one that, that is pretty interesting to me is ID verification. Uh, this, this might piss off some of my libertarian friends, um, but I think the ID verification side of blockchain can actually be very practical, right? So you can reduce identity fraud by having these digital identifier uh, tokens, right? You have uh, an address that represents you as a person on the blockchain that is non-fungible again. So not really turning yourself into an NFT, but kind of, right? You are a non-fungible, like your identity is a non-fungible thing that you can plug into a transaction and instantly be verified that yes, it's you, all of your credit history, all of your um, your proof of reserves, everything that you have in your identity rolled up into one single thing, almost like a single sign-on for some of these larger purchases, right? There, there's a number of projects working on proof of reserves um, where, you know, you can have someone go in and check your bank account 
to see, hey, this guy, yes, he has the couple hundred thousand that he says he does, but it obscures everything else. All the data that you don't want anybody else to see, totally private. And that, that actually exists in the real world. Um, this technically shouldn't be on the future use case slide, um, but projects like Chainlink and their DECO and proof of reserve organizations are all offering things like that. And then the easy and seamless sort of know your customer verification as well that ties into that. So this is kind of in the realm of, right, it's, it's, it's mostly theoretical, but just seeing where the industry has been trending, I don't think it's a stretch to imagine something like all of these items could happen in the coming years. Crypto is a very volatile, it's a very uh, cyclical kind of market, right? It's always going to go up and down. I've been through a number of these bear markets. And if you're investing in it, that just means, okay, buy and hold. Whenever you see these dips, it's great buying opportunities. Um, but I like to follow more like the trends of the industry, like how much adoption are we getting? How many of these large tech companies, these large, you know, realtor type organizations, um, government institutions, how many are adopting and investing in blockchain for solutions to their problems? And if you see that trend go up, it's like, all right, I think we're we're here to stay. Yeah. And is that trend going up, Danny? Uh, yeah, undisputably, 100%. Undisputably going up. So yeah. it's kind of, you know, it reminds me, I know it's a stupid analogy. It reminds me of, I remember when, whenever it was, I remember when my my oldest daughter, who's now 30, came home and was like, we're texting. I'm like, texting who's going to want to ever write like all kinds of words on a phone i really said that and uh now look where we're at where no one wants to make a phone call anymore and everyone wants to text and so this is i believe you know for those who are stuck in the mindset of everyone's going to want to use a dollar and this and that this is happening you know this is why i want to bring awareness to this you know uh danny there's a question here it says with the three current sudden deaths of major crypto creators, do you think that will affect the crypto market? Yeah, we're getting into the-, the So that's a rabbit hole. Uh, that's a <laughs> yes, rabbit hole is. question. Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, you know, but maybe we'll wrap this up and then we'll, uh, whoever wants to stay around for the rabbit <laughs> hole, you know, uh, you know, you, we'll have your book and they can reach out to you if they want to, you know, dive down it. Um, but uh, thank you for that question. Yeah, happy to go down the rabbit hole. Let's just let's finish this part up, and then we right. can we can yeah. put the tinfoil hat on if we want yeah. to. I'm all yeah. about it. <laughs> um, yep. So summarizing what it means for you as an agent, as a you know, let's say your real estate law firm broker, whatever you're doing, theoretically, the whole point of all of this, the whole point of smart contracts, is to make your life easier, right? It's to automate processes and make your life and your customers' life have a little less friction. Um, so the end-to-end -end process of buying and selling real estate is going to get shorter. So in my opinion, agents and people in this, this community who adapt to this reality sooner, I think they're going to come out ahead, just like Steve sort of alluded to. Um, how do you go about doing that, right? How do you even educate yourself on this stuff? I mentioned the Proppy uh, Crypto Certified Agent course. I'm not affiliated with them. I know I talked about Proppy a lot on this, but I, I don't know any of those people. Um, I don't earn anything from them. I just, it was the, the resource that I came across that they put out a lot of stuff to help people like you. So I would look into that. Um, like I said, just under 500 bucks, but you might be able to get it expensed. Um, Consortia, one of those brands that I also mentioned in the, in the current application slide, they offer certified listing reports. So kind of helping to compress that timeline as well. Not really sure what their fees look like for that. So you're going to have to do your own due diligence there, but if it can help sort of uh, some of the numbers I saw on their website were it it cut the days on the market in half for your listings. So could potentially help. And then I'm going to make sure that uh, Steve gets you access to my ebook, which is the shorter one, you know, the 16 pager. It's more of a quick reference guide uh, for value and growth investors. Like I mentioned, doesn't really have anything to do with real estate, but if you end up assisting clients on deals that involve blockchain, right? You're, you're going to want to understand how crypto works, how wallets work. Um, now that you have a, a base sort of foundation knowledge in blockchain networks with those analogies, now you can kind of dig into wallets, how those actually function, be the subject matter expert for your clients, for your customers. Um, so I'll make sure you guys get access to that. Yeah. I, I have, we have everyone's email address. Uh, someone just asked, how do we get the ebook? We'll get you the ebook. You'll, you'll get it in your email. 
Um, you know, Danny, what I'm thinking about, you know, if I'm a broker on the call, you know, as things get more complex, you become more valuable. And that's something that I, you know, that it, if this, if this, if there's a level of complexity to this and you have knowledge on it, you're just separating yourself and making yourself more valuable to the community. I don't think a, five, a half a million dollar purchase will be ever done. Generally speaking with a point and a click and a, oh my gosh, I'm going to transfer. They're going to always need experts like you. So I don't think, you know, that there's any risk of, uh, of agents being eliminated, uh, you know, with this with, with these, um, technologies. Um, but, uh, okay. Well, I just want to say, uh, Danny, thank you very much, uh, for, uh, you know, just sharing with us this knowledge. I believe the, our agent population got smarter. We're going to record this. So we'll put this, we'll publish, uh, publish this. And so, um, but if you want to stay around, uh, just for a, the uh, Q and a let's begin. So let's talk just a little bit about, you know, Danny, uh, your take on the the crypto market, the three sudden deaths here of the major crypto creators, and how that you think that'll affect the crypto market. You know, it seems to me like there's just this foundation of technology is going to carry forward, and where we go with the crypto market, um, you know, you know, temporarily might be affected by the 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 situation, right? Yeah, and that's that's the key word there is temporarily. There's been lots of sort of media breaking things that have happened in crypto right in the last five years they're always temporary right this is a this is a blooming new ecosystem doesn't feel like it at the moment because we're in the midst of a, of a bear winter as we like to call it um but it's all everything blows over man like yeah there's there's been some mysterious kind of deaths of people who have created crypto organizations uh crypto projects I don't know if I want to get into the realm of conjecture on, on that side. Like we can sure. fall down the governmental rabbit hole and how right. bankers is... not wanting, you know, like you could see how this is a threat to big uh, set in place financial ecosystems that we've accepted for good or for bad. And so you could see how anyone's creating any of this secondary system or an alternative system as being a threat to that, you know, regardless sure. of who's uh, who's dying and who's not. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people making a lot of money who are incentivized to not let anything change, mm -hmm. um, and that's that's the way of the world. You know, it's the way right. the world has always worked. But yep. uh, when when you think about a decentralized network, that's kind of the beauty of it, right? If the government decides, hey, Bitcoin needs to be shut down, good luck. You can't. Like you saw it happen in China, right? So China banned crypto ban Bitcoin, you can't mine Bitcoin anymore. A lot of the hash or the computing power that was being used to, to secure and validate the Bitcoin network existed in China because it was a cheap sort of location for you to run your, they're called mining machines. So it's GPUs and ASICs. It's just these computer boxes that are pre-made to solve that cryptographic problem, that competition, so that you have a better chance of earning the block reward. You're turning this into a business basically as a crypto miner. Um, Crypto or China banned that, right? And within six months, you saw 100% of the hash power migrate right over to the US, to Europe, to elsewhere. Like unless the entire world, like all the governments of the world get together and ban crypto, ban Bitcoin, like you can't stop it. You would physically have to go to every single person's house, seize their mining equipment, right? Or like, break into their phones and like take their crypto you can't it's physically impossible once the network reaches a certain point and we're well beyond that point now so in my opinion it's a futile effort and if our government if the u.s government specifically wants to remain relevant the only reason we've been relevant over the last 20 years is because we've led the world on tech right we have been the tech lead and that's where most of the capital has flowed obviously our country's business practices and our debt is just insurmountable and there's lots of problems with how the economics of the country work but we've always had that we've always been tech lead and this sort of crypto web three right you take the current iteration of the internet you add this sort of distributed layer on top of it you get web three where instead of um it's it's read only now it is read write own you can have ownership of your sort of stake of that network if we don't 
pursue that as a country and allow that to just bloom like we did with the internet, I don't know. I think we're going to be a little irrelevant over the next 20. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's kind of trending in that direction, just regulatory wise. Who's to say what's going to happen? There's a couple of friends in DC, I think. This whole SBF, uh, FTX situation did not help things mm-hmm. because SBF, Sam Bankman fried was the face of crypto in DC, right? He was the one lobbying for, you know, crypto regulatory things that made sense or that, that were a little less aggressive. But it, that's a sketchy situation, man, because mm-hmm. he's heavily, heavily, like his family is super connected in politics yeah. in dc he's, he's one of the largest donors for the biden administration um there's a reason that he's not being harpooned to death on mass media right now mm-hmm. we'll just put it that way like he essentially got away scot-free with defrauding 10 billion dollars worth of funds from his customers mm-hmm. and people like that people who are managing centralized platforms like that that do people dirty are terrible for crypto and i think he set the whole industry back at least a year that's just, this is all just my opinion, first of all. Yeah. Um, and, and what I really like about what you wrote, Danny, is it, you know, it, to me, it separated all of the kind of hype conjecture and kind of the, that SBF side of it to really the fundamental concept of what's happening and how the fundamentals, regardless of what happens with any of these coins or anything, the fundamentals are here to stay. You know what I mean? It, you know, no matter how you use your phone for illicit purposes and all that, you're not going to throw away your phone. You know what I mean? You're always going to use it. And this reminds me of that kind of, you know, blockbuster type of technology that is always going to have a place here. And particularly from title insurance, real property transfer and all that, it is, it looks like an obvious thing that is going to be coming into our industry you know because it is a there's almost a perfect fit for it from the from a title perspective at least in my mind so anyway totally all right yeah. we don't have any more questions uh people have asked are we going to have we're, we've recorded this and so we'll send the recording out to everybody and um you know dan we'll send out danny's information if you want to have a conference with danny and all that he's a consultant in that regard if you have things you want to do with crypto that uh you know that's for you and Danny to talk about but we just want to say uh, to Danny thank you for taking the time to to uh, craft your presentation for the real estate community we appreciate you just the way you've uh, delivered the material in a level-headed way and um we want to thank everyone for being a part of our call and we're looking forward to our uh, January series which we'll be announcing soon so thanks a lot Danny you bet thanks for having me Steve take care bye you too